up at the top is my Rorschach Funko with the sta- the figure I got today. Right. The Slytherin Hourglass from Harry Potter. And the sword is um, uh, Bill's Katana from Kill Bill. Oh, that's sweet. That's yeah, here we awesome. Okay. A- Andrew uh, would l- will like that, that's for sure. Hopefully he uh, he's eyeballing this. It's got the Hattori Hanzo mark on it. That is crazy. Got the engraving. Nice. So is that... Uh, where where did you get that? If if I can acquire um, inquire. Fire and steel in Mississauga. Okay, so they're like a uh, replica sword place, or yeah. Oh, go on their website, man. There's so much great stuff. I always screw up your podcast name, Joe. Not I always screw up your podcast name, Rob. I know. Mine is so, well. I understand yeah. why you screw ours up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you can't remember 21st century cinema. I always 21st century cinema club i always want to put the club on the end why club we've i don't never, know we've never claimed to be a club we've never accepted members into this club <laughs> i don't we know don't, you have we to don't, pay a we, membership fee we don't sell a membership we have a patreon but like only my mother is subscribed to it so <laughs> well that's one more she's than part ours. of the club <laughs> <laughs> she's in the club <laughs> i don't know why I, there's something about and i don't know every time i, th- I think of like 20 21st century but then I, I even think like uh, Fox, right? 21st century Fox is mm-hmm. that, that's an ingrained part of my childhood, right? Oh, growing up on Star Wars. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why I always struggle. So I just want to make sure that I have it in front of me. So when I go to say it, 21st century cinema, because I'm going to say 20, I'm going to say 21st century club. I can guarantee you, I will say it at least once. So be prepared and call me out on it. Yeah, I, I will. I will. Oh, I will. There's no club. There's no club. So should we do a show? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I don't even think we need to, like, <laughs> we, we could just, like, start anywhere along here, right? Cause it's, yeah, it's, just, just keep talking. Yeah, just roll it! started with how to survive the modern world or gen x isn't just a fashion statement presented by tribe74.com so what are we talking about today who do we know let's back up yeah let's back up who's our guest well today we have a good friend a co-worker fella friend confidant quality control guy at cap can comics as well as a prominent podcaster on his Awesome channel, and I'm going to screw up the name because I always do. 21st Century Cinema, Joseph Del Avecchia. It's Del Avecchia, right? It's Del Avecchia, right? A lot okay. of people say Del Avecchia. They had like an E at the end. Right. Very incorrect. And I don't know no why e's. that. I don't know why that like bothers me. You get like a phone from like a telemarketer or just anyone in general, and they're like, Del Avecchia. Like they <laughs> screw it up completely. It's so, or they always say Del Avecchio. And I'm like, I don't know where there's no, go. Oh, it's very obviously no, oh. an A at the end, but yeah. And, but for some reason, the one thing that bothers me the most about it is when people say Ia instead of, yeah, it's Delavecchia. <laughs> Delavecchia. How did I say it right? Did I say? You said it right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I also come from like, you look at my name and people don't even know what it is and they're just like, yeah. I yeah, thought whatever. it was, I thought it was Langle for four months. Langle. Well, that that's what they say at the shop. And I'm just like, well, Hey yeah. guys, you know, yeah. I, 
yeah, whatever. Well, <laughs> I don't bother they, correcting they, they, they screw up my name at the shop too. And the one day I corrected them, I got made fun of for like two hours straight because yeah. nobody could understand the difference. So I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm just done. It's better left, better left unsaid. Exactly. <laughs> so, so Joe, just to give our listeners a little bit of an intro, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, give yourself a, a prompt, proper introduction that I didn't give you. Yeah. I said, I, I didn't, I tell you just to like do whatever you want with my intro. So you decided just to give it to me. <laughs> well, maybe just tell us about the podcast. Yeah. That's what uh, our um, listeners are going to care understand about. How, yeah. Do you understand how lazy I am? <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning, Rob. I'm fucking learning. <laughs> now I know why they gave you an office at work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stick um, me in a, in a hole. Yeah. So uh, I am host and co-founder of 21st Century Cinema. We're a podcast about modern film and the film industry. We like to talk a lot about uh, current events in film, current trends, things that are going on in the industry, how the industry works. We like to make a lot of predictions about where we think the industry is going. Right now, we are 0 for 2 in our predictions. We're doing so great. We're doing really <laughs> well. The pandemic really fucked us because like, we were predicting like Netflix digging themselves into a hole, and then the pandemic happened, and everyone went back to Netflix and caused their stock to rise so well that they dug themselves out of that hole almost. So that, that really, f I did so much research that episode too. Sorry, I just, no, I'm that, salty about that. You, that's okay. Andrew, Andrew and you I thought you had a win there. <laughs> I really thought I had a win. I really and, thought in like 10 years, people were going to go back to that episode and be like, this small, no-name podcast predicted all of this. You know, they had it all right. Fuck no. <laughs> now people are going to go back to that and be like, you fucking lose. They're already going back to that and saying you fucking losers. Um, <laughs> shut up, Joe. But, That's what they're saying. Shut they're up, saying, Joe. shut up, Joe. Yeah. But yeah, so um, I'm uh, yeah, co-host and co-founder on 21st Century Cinema. Um, big comic book nerd and comic book collector. It's why I work at Capcam with Rob and... Yeah, I'm just, I'm happy to be here. I'm a fan. I've listened to a few episodes. I, the first one I listened to was the holiday one you guys did this past year. And I saw Rob the day after I listened to it. And I'm like, what the hell, man? I got every one of those questions right on your little holiday quiz. So <laughs> they're never that hard. Yeah. Yeah. They really were. Because we hard. have to be able to know the answer. So, but Rob didn't they can't know half be hard. of them. <laughs> hey, that's listen, the problem listen my, my trivia game is usually on par but andrew it, went it outside the box. Is. andrew went outside the box and he tested me he he, yeah. he threw me for yeah, a loop you, yeah you yeah you you listen to an episode of my show you steal one of our formulas for an episode bring it to your show and you, you screw the pooch on it rob congrats great job well they really we weren't do. my questions i actually stole the question so yeah. uh, you know rob i didn't I got, stump rob somebody yeah, else stumped that's, rob that's another thing Rob I also like make up the question I read all the information and then I copy paste the history blurbs and then I just take out key things and I make questions out of that you're just surfing the internet over here hold on exactly here. sometimes put, even on the fly I I put some I put some effort into mine okay like so Rob you just finished saying do you know how lazy I am come on you're not you're not winning this one <laughs> I felt guilty that time. So I said, I gotta, I gotta make this interesting. I also didn't want Andrew just to Google the answers. So, you know, so I had to go with it. Like, that that okay. would lose interest. Yeah. Okay. So Googling answers. So I just want, I just want to throw in something else here too. Joe is very opinionated and he very, swears a lot. Oh, very. <laughs> and he swears a lot. So uh, if you're listening, be prepared. And if, just so you guys know too, if uh, you get sick of Joe on our podcast, then you can go over to his podcast and follow his, uh, what is, is it on your Patreon where you get the shirts? No, our T public store. The T public store. He has shirts that say, shut up, Joe specifically made for him. <laughs> so I encourage anybody who gets sick of him on our podcast to go over and buy a shirt. 
uh, I intend on getting one, uh, maybe for my birthday, which is just uh, around the corner. Well, both Andrew and I, we have a birthday yeah. coming around the corner. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, uh, for the first two years of our show, the most popular thing was shut up, Joe, at least once <laughs> an episode, it said, because I just, I get very opinionated and I'm very dedicated to my opinions and I will fight them to the end when it comes to film and comics, anything else. I don't, I don't give a fuck, but those two things I'm right. very passionate about. But and so we uh, needed a new merch and we asked one of our often guest hosts, who's also a graphic designer, if he would do something funny for us with shut up Joe. And he made this design where it's just my face with tape over my mouth and it says shut up Joe underneath it. Oh, and wicked. We, we hardly sold any merch. We sold so we've sold almost a hundred <laughs> of those things in shirts, sweater formats, people bought in stickers, mugs. It's fucking insane how much people want i have a friend who every time i go out in public with him he's wearing the sweater like I, he's walking around with me in public that with a sweater that's is awesome. up joe with my face on it that is pretty pretty awesome but i the, the great thing about it joe and this is why i like your show and that's why i like you is that you're passionate and you you're knowledgeable so you know that's why uh, we kind of invited you on here as well and uh hope people will enjoy the time that you're here otherwise you won't be coming back Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, right, so. I am here to make enemies and never <laughs> in my mind, if I don't get invited back, I've done something right. If You've I do get well. invited back, I have also done something right. No matter Excellent. what. <laughs> always, <laughs> always a positive spin. I like that. Exactly. So what are we, what are we talking about today, guys? Well, let's uh, throw this one again. I'm going to be lazy again and throw this one at Joe because we let Joe be being the special guest of honor here. Yeah. We let him pick the subjects. So Joe, do you remember what uh, what subjects you selected? Yeah, I selected two subjects. Where do we want to start? Do we want to start on the film side of things or do we want to go on the comic side of things? I, I think we can start on the comic side of things. because Comic I think, side uh, of things? Yeah, okay. let, let's start with that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're also going to follow up with the other subject tonight will be about the best and worst films that we've watched personally in 2021 but for now we're going to hop into the comic side of it and joe with his personal specialty yes um i want to talk about watchmen because it's so watchmen is my absolute favorite story of all time um in my early teen years i watched the movie and i really liked the movie i, I never read the book until i was 16 i was 16 when i first read the book and i fell in love with it i was infatuated with it ever since and i have not stopped loving the book and becoming obsessed it's tattooed on my shoulder right here oh the, yeah uh, the comedian's um badge which is pretty much the symbol for the yep. the book so yeah so i absolutely love Watchmen, and i try to always find a way to talk about it on my show but it's about film and Watchmen has a 2009 movie which is okay but it's it a little bit really dated hold, it, it doesn't hold up it's dated um it makes some bold changes from the book which have a lot of controversy and one of the most important and prominent characters from the book is portrayed very very poorly and Zack Snyder very much misses the mark which we'll, we'll get to that so yeah so I wanted to talk about Watchmen so I thought I'd start off by just giving you guys a little bit of some fun facts Watchmen was actually originally a book pitched called Who Killed the Peacemaker and the same Peacemaker from the show that's on right now with John Cena so originally there were characters from a company called Charlton Comics. And from the Charlton, there was Blue Beetle, Captain Adam, Nightshade, Peacemaker, The Question, and Thunderbolt. And DC acquired these characters in the early 80s. And Alan Moore was given the opportunity to write a story. And he took these characters and he proposed this murder mystery called Who Killed the Peacemaker? Where the Peacemaker is killed and all of his friends essentially come together and try to figure out what they want to, like if they can figure out who killed him. And DC was like, wow, this is a great idea, but we really want to use these characters for something. 
they never really did except for like Blue Beetle. And uh, now they're using Peacemaker. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but they were like, we want to do some of these characters. So don't use them. So Alan Moore pulling a Rob and being lazy was like, well, fuck you. I'm going to use them, but I'm just going to give them different names and change the way they look. So Blue Beetle became Night Owl. Captain Adam became Dr. Manhattan. Nightshade became Silk Spectre. Peacemaker became the comedian. Thunderbolt became Ozymandias. And the question became Rorschach. A lot of them have a lot of similarities, but Rorschach is definitely the most different from his counterpart because the question, as we know, is a hard-boiled detective and Rorschach is full-on, like, ultra-right. Conspiracy Conservative conspiracy theorist who's cleansing the world from the plague that he sees in front of him every day in New York City. So that's how Watchmen got started. Dave Gibbons did the art for it. Absolutely awesome art. I have a signed Watchmen number one second print by Dave Gibbons. And yeah, so it's my absolute favorite book. I love it. I love talking about it. So did both of you read the book? Did only one of you read the book? I, I watched uh... the movie. Sorry. <laughs> I watched Andrew, the movie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Out of, there are three, yeah. three, well, there's, and we'll get to that. <laughs> there are three mediums. There's the show, the book, and the movie. Yeah. And the movie is the weakest thing. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's also it's also the easiest for us to watch. But uh, I I got to actually issue number ten, and it's taken me forty six years to get there, almost forty seven, I think. I don't know how old I am, but I think I'm close mm-hmm. to forty seven. It's taken me that long, and as a comic nerd, I'm I'm actually disappointed in myself to say that, but it is actually like I am locked in. It is so good, isn't great it? Great story. I don't want to spoil it for you, Rob. It's okay. I, I'm okay with spoiling it because I actually watched the show, so okay. I've got the I've got the the biggest spoiler so, of the ball. So, okay, so you you know you know it's Adrian. You know yeah. he's behind it all. Yeah. Okay. So oh, and you um, don't have to worry about spoiling anything with me. So yeah, yeah. that's well, okay. Th- at least at the very point, the movie does get that the who the killer is and adrian most of his plan but andrew what you might be shocked to know here is that the movie changes how adrian does it in the book actually adrian creates a sci-fi monster that he drops on new york city to make it look like the world is under attack by aliens and that's what brings the government the governments of the world together and that's one of the things that people debate on I understand the choice as to why Snyder did that in the 2009 to change it to being John Dr. Manhattan being the actual threat, because A, it makes more sense for the time period. You have to remember that 2009 wasn't the time for superheroes that we have now. It's not where people are accepting this weirdness. You know, it's like, if, are, you, are you guys watching Peacemaker, the TV show? Absolutely. Started. It's, um, it's very it's bizarre. And it's, it's like uh, Umbrella Academy, you know, it's very much its own thing. It has its own tone. It's not afraid to be goofy and bizarre and put out these weird things and people love it. Back then people weren't, they needed something a little more grounded in reality. So when you already have this giant, big, blue, omnipotent God whipping his penis out in every frame, you, you know, you need to have it somewhat grounded the end. So making him the threat makes sense. So I understand why Snyder did it. I think the sci-fi monster is better overall, but I understand why he did it. And at least he did in a way where it works. One thing he does though, that doesn't work is that he casted Matthew Good as Ozymandias. And um, right, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to know, how did you feel about his performance? I, I really didn't, I didn't like any of the performances. Really? You, <laughs> you, did, did you, you did not like I, Jackie I thought, Earl Haley I, I as thought, I thought the, I thought the acting was awful. Wait, wait, I, even, even Jackie Earl Haley ev- Everything, everything. Really? Uh, Fuck, and, okay. And I, I think that they were doing it on purpose. I don't know why they were doing it like that on purpose. But 
it just it was the longest like two hours and 40 minutes that oh you didn't that even ever get you back. didn't even watch the, the director's cut it's three and a half hours <laughs> see yeah you're I missing a lot of key stuff actually cut. because of that um so I, I started to watch the movie. I'd finished the uh, the TV show and I went back and started to watch the movie, mm-hmm. but I didn't get it completed. And what, one thing I noticed is that they were pretty spot on for the, at least the first half of it, pretty yeah, much how it's, things it's, happened. It's very faithful for the most part. Like I said, yeah. there are a few minor like tweaks here and there. Even the lines, some of the lines, I was like, going, oh, that is cool that they actually left some of the lines in because you don't yeah. normally see that. Like there's nothing been, like, as you said, it's very faithful. There is no movie I've ever seen that is that faithful to the source material. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I love it in like in the beginning where I'm uh, when Rorschach visits Dan the first time in the house and they go down into the uh, the owl cave and they're talking and he Rorschach goes to leave and Dan gives him the directions to get out. And Rorschach's like, yeah, I know. I used to come here all the time. And he's and he says and he says the line of what happened. You quit. And it's just it's a very it's a very good part of the first chapter of the book. It establishes mm-hmm. a lot. And it's just a really great moment that I've always loved. And it's transitioned absolutely perfectly, almost word for word. It might actually even be word for word, word, for word. from those panels of those I, like two or three pages. I, as, so, as I just yeah. read some of that stuff in the last like two days, it, it is almost, yeah, you're, yeah. you're right. It is almost precisely word for word. Mm-hmm. I think that's might be the problem maybe where Andrew has the issue is that the comic book is a comic book. Mm-hmm. right like it, it reads as a comic it doesn't i don't see how it would translate into a movie and especially as you said in that time period so perhaps maybe that's where the, yeah the issues lie because i think, I think also off. what andrew's missing is reading the book and understanding the characters because rorschach is a terrible person but an amazing character he truly is alan moore's masterpiece and he's so so cool and so awesome and i love him so much I have actually three Rorschach. He, he's right actually probably the be- one of probably the best character of of the yeah, bunch from but, the from the film. But if you think that Jackie Earl Haley is doing a bad job for portraying him, I'm actually shocked because he's he's pretty spot on to what Rorschach is supposed to be. So I, I don't know. I feel like oh, maybe okay. if you read See, the source yeah. material, you might appreciate the performance a little more. I, I can understand just seeing it and being like, this guy is just mumbling in half sentences and just angry all the time and being a dick to everyone well i mean it, he, you know it, it started out with a very much the film noir sort of feel to it and mm-hmm. and it really lent itself to his character but yeah i just yeah. The, the acting as a whole was was a little bit much for me what was awesome though was the the soundtrack the soundtrack it's, is so like, great i don't know how much that cost them mm-hmm. to put that soundtrack together but it was unbelievable. Like, I mean, you got unforgettable. The times are changing, changing. the sound of silence and the list just kind of goes on from there. L- uh, 99 Luft Balloons by Nina yeah. plays yeah. in the, in the diner at uh, the, the restaurant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the, the opening sequence though, to times they are changing by Bob Dylan. I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. I love Bob Dylan. And that opening sequence is one of my favorite opening sequences in cinema. It's so well done. It establishes so much about your, this world that you need to know and it does it in five minutes. It's like, here is a shit ton of exposition where even though you hear maybe three sentences spoken in the entire five minutes, you learn everything you need to know prior about this world that's been created, about what happened with the Vietnam War, where the Cold War is sitting at right now, how different moments from history have changed a little bit, the moon landing, everything. It's, it's all right there in front of your eyes, how Reagan has been elected for three fucking terms now. <laughs> Nixon. Nixon, sorry, Nixon, not Reagan. And then Robert Redford. 
Robert Redford. No, they in the film they did joke about how the fact that oh what was it the the news guys the journalists are going to go on and talk about how Reagan was going to uh, run for presidency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's right out of the book. That's right out of the that last scene in the in the newspaper shop. That is essentially panel for panel, word for word. That is exactly how the book ends, which is really great. And I do really like the added voiceover of Rorschach's journal as it zooms in over the journal and cuts to the end, which is the end song is really good over the credits. It's Desolation Row, originally by Bob Dylan. It's a cover by My Chemical Romance. Yeah, really great cover. Oh, that automatically that disqualifies it right there. Then sorry, oh. <laughs> I, I, I do not like my chemical romance at the very least. <laughs> Rob, I have sorry. tickets to the reunion concert in oh, September. What are you I, doing to me, man? I feel so sorry for you, Joe. I feel oh so gosh, sorry. where's my? I was literally just wearing a my chem beanie when I was. I went on a walk before this. Oh, I don't know where I Joe, I used now. to respect you. I used oh. to respect you. Just kidding, I never Rob, really did. But. Okay, I've worn though like a black parade hoodie to work on multiple occasions. So this is honestly on you for just realizing now. <laughs> I like my chem. Well, so when did the, the comic when when did when was the comic first started? When did it first start to be written? 1985. No, okay. no, 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 no. No, uh, goes back. No. So the comic takes place in 1985. But takes the comic, place or when was it written though? The comic takes place in 1985. It released okay. in 1986. It started being written in 83. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I thought some of the the, uh, the cover dates were 1985. Nope, they are 86 onward. Oh, okay. All right. So, okay, that's my mistake then. They are 86, yeah. That explains the the whole US, USSR conflict yeah. the, the Cold as, War. as well, a main focus. Well, um, I don't know if you've ever read Alan Moore's other political masterpiece, um, which the first three chapters of it debuted before Watchmen, but the entire 10-issue series as a whole, DC published after Watchmen, which is V for Vendetta. And Alan Moore is very famous for making commentary on things. Watchmen is a political commentary, a commentary on comic books themselves uh, and the the idea of a superhero and the American dream, which obvious through that one's very obvious through Dan and the comedian's argument in the streets during the riots. Yeah, Watchmen makes a lot of commentary on many things. And it's one of the reasons why I love it so much. I always love something that tries to challenge and push the agenda and push the envelope, which is kind of what Moore was trying to do with Rorschach. This is a funny story. Alan Moore wanted to somehow make people disgusted with antiheroes because he was like, you know, people idolize and love these antiheroes, but they're trying to do like, they're trying to be Superman, but they're doing it in a grittier, worse way. Like, why are you not idolizing Superman who is like the epitome of all things good? Why are you idolizing this antihero? So he was like, I'm going to make this antihero the most vile, disgusting person ever. I'm going to make him so hated. I am going to make the world see why antiheroes are terrible. And he is Alan Moore's most beloved character to date. Which so, is absolutely which, totally crazy. There's a reason why Alan Moore doesn't want to talk about Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, among a few reasons, I'm sure yeah. we'll get we'll get to at some yeah, point. Well, so we, let, let's roll this back a quick second here. You said that Alan Moore wrote V for Ven- is for Vendetta. He's wrote V for Vendetta. He wrote From Hell, which is the Jack the Ripper story, right? which is which um, I I absolutely loved that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know how you feel about that one, but that was a fantastic movie. He's also responsible for uh, a, a very popular run of the Swamp Thing. His yep. Swamp Thing run is known as the Swamp Thing run. He also wrote. I'm trying to think now. He uh, he did the Killing Joke, which which right is right there. That yeah. to me, I put that above the Watchmen. Really? In, in my in my books anyway because the killing joke was one of my first batman full batman stories that i read and to this day i i can go back and read it again and i absolutely absolutely love it 
sidebar then for you, Rob, what you should do is you should do what I did. You should go to Chapters Indigo. You should grab yourself an absolute killing joke. This has in it the remastered coloring from the anniversary, the original coloring from the original magazine issues, and it has all the storyboards and scripts in the back, plus a bunch of interviews with Ike, creative people in the process. Dave Gibbons ta- has a note in here. Jeff Loeb has a note in here. Alan Moore does not. He does not want to talk about the killing joke either. Um, <laughs> he's, he's angry with DC. He's angry with everyone. He <laughs> identifies as a political anarchist. And yeah, he does not want to talk about his work or the industry. He is very angry at it. Which, which is really interesting because I also noticed while watching the show that they, uh, based on characters created by Dave Gibbons, they did not mention Alan Moore at all. Because they asked him, do you want to be a part of this? And he said, don't even put my name on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is just insane. The best, one of the, well, uh, arguably the one of the most the critically best TV shows. Book. A comic book too, as well in history, and he does not want to be anything to do with it anymore, which is yeah. crazy to think of. Two things to touch on on there. First thing I was going to say um, about Moore was that oh, he wrote. I'm a. I'm not a big Superman guy. I've I've never read a Superman book ongoing except for now. I'm reading Son of Kal El, and that's only because it's written by Tom Taylor. But I. Alan Moore wrote two Superman stories, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow and For the Man Who Has Everything. And they are my absolute favorite Superman stories. They're really great. Um, they're actually both collected in a hardcover of For the Man Who Has Everything. I recommend you check that out. If you don't want to read it though, there's an episode of Justice League Unlimited called For the Man Who Has Everything, which is based off the book. And it's it's very faithful. The only difference they make is that Jason Todd Robin is not there. So Besides that being taken out, um, uh, it's pretty faithful and it's really, really good. Yeah, the premise is, is that it's Superman's birthday and Batman and Wonder Woman go to the Fortress of Solitude to give him a birthday gift. And Diana's got this nicely wrapped present and she asks, Bruce, what did you bring him? And uh, he's like, I brought him cash. And she's like, "You, that's such a thoughtless gift. And he's like, well, what do you get for the man who has everything? And it, and it goes into Superman's psyche and what he wants and how he handles the loss of his family in krypton and it's so well done absolutely fantastic so i I think we can agree like i mean i don't know how much reading uh andrew has done into alan moore but alan moore seems to have this way of writing characters differently than the typical superhero story Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's great about him and from what i've read right like he he goes he goes darker and Mm -hmm. he goes he goes outside of the box which is great instead of all the the red white and blue that superman typically is he really takes you know superman Mm -hmm. to a whole different level and batman and the watchmen are are another example of the counter superhero culture Mm -hmm. one of the things i was shocked while reading it was to find out that the blue meanie in the watchmen is dr john is actually a pedo almost you know, dating a four, was it 15 year old yep. Lori, Lori? And that's just absolutely I, crazy. I love Lori. I just want to say Lori is obviously a commentary on feminism and how women are perceived in comics. And I absolutely love Lori because she has this fantastic journey that she goes on where she is, you know, she's she's the eye candy of the piece. You know, she's just in this wearing this skimpy costume. She's not really respected and everything. She's really only involved uh, because she's Dr. Manhattan's girlfriend. But she really comes to her own in the story. She discovers who she really is. She makes a name for herself. She becomes independent. Lori has this great journey and uh, the fight on Mars. I love the fight on Mars because she is just finally freeing herself from John and separating herself and being like, 
I don't need this. I can go and do what I want. I don't need, just because you say everything's doomed doesn't mean everything's doomed. I refuse to live in your world and just be a part of your world. I want my own life. And the movie cuts out so much of it and just buries the storyline. And I make the joke, the movie Lori's Lori. Cause that's the point of Lori is that, you know, she's, she starts off here and then she ends up here and the movie just keeps her down here, but then just expects her to be here at the end because we have the fight on Mars. Yeah. And it's, and, uh, it's yeah. great in the yeah. book. Yeah. I, I absolutely mm-hmm. agree. There, the yeah, That's like one of the things that the movie cuts out of the book is there's this really great flashback that I love. And it's a uh, Lori as a teenager and her mom's got some of the Minutemen over and Hollis is there and it's right. Hollis has just launched his book under the hood. And he has a signed copy for Lori that he, and he wants her to read it. And Sally won't let Lori read the book because she doesn't want her to know more about the comedian, about everything and blah, blah. And Hollis kind of lets it slip that the comedian is her dad. And like, there's a lot more teases of that in there too, that the comedian is her dad. There is a lot more build up to that than just the three things they do in the movie. Okay. So Um, they do do reveal it in the movie then? Yeah, it's revealed in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now, but what... yeah, there's just all this extra stuff and it just cuts it out for Lori. I didn't realize that she was 15 in the beginning. Like I knew that because she was Because they young. use Maya Anchorman for the entire thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, at the age of yeah. 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they do refer to it in the movie. And that was like, obviously before I watched a little bit of the movie before I started reading the book. Yeah. And yeah, they- They, they, they referenced do... that she was younger. Yeah. But... Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't realize so, that she was she was a teen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it does get creepy, but I, I think it, it does good of painting this on all of the heroes, the, the Watchmen. It, it shows that they all had their vulnerabilities or their um, their downfalls, right? So even though they were heroes, and this is I think where Alan Moore really wins over is that he kind of is the first person to really point mm-hmm. out that heroes have their flaws. And that really makes a more well-rounded character. But at the same time, it makes it very easy to dislike the Watchmen, like most of the characters in the Watchmen. Going back to the the scene on Mars with uh, Laurie and the Doctor, it definitely like reading in the comic book, like the back and forth. And it just shows you kind of the, the abusive relationship that she was in with him, mm-hmm. even though it, I mean, you could say it wasn't his intention to be abusive, it but you can wasn't. understand her yeah. point of view, right? Mm-hmm. And I think she, her finally coming to that realization and then to finally figure out that, oh my God, the comedian is my dad. It just, oh my goodness. Like it's, it's like mm-hmm. all this to compress, compress into this one, mm-hmm. not, not one scene, but this one part of the story arc. Mm-hmm. And it's, wow. It's just like mind blowing, mind blowing. I, I, and um, my, my girlfriend, I made, I've made her read all the stuff, watch the movie, watch the TV show. I've made her watch the movie multiple times. <laughs> and every time she always picks out the end with John and says, it, I don't get why, like, so what? The comedian was Lori's dad. Why does that change him so much? And upon first read, I get it. Or first watch of the movie, you know, you just, you see it and you're like, oh, okay, she realizes the comedian's her dad. She has a breakdown and does John feel bad? Like, you know, he, he didn't care about her before, really, but now he feels bad. Is it guilt? And um, then I got this little thing right here. Is it? Uh, it's not on my shelf. Um, I have a book. It's called Watchmen in Philosophy, and it's a complete uh, deconstruction of Watchmen from a philosophical standpoint. And it uh, the first chapter, right off the bat, it just goes right into John doesn't care about humanity. He doesn't care about the world because he's bored. You know, he sees everything. He knows everything. He doesn't care. He doesn't want 
any more part in this. He says it at the end of chapter four or at the end of the first chapter on Mars, where he says, I am tired of earth, these people. I'm tired of being caught in the tangle of their lives. He doesn't want to be a part of this. He doesn't care anymore. He is so far beyond this. He's seen the future. He can do so much more for the world and they don't care. They'll just keep fighting with each other. They'll keep repeating history over and over. He can make a difference, but they don't want difference. And then Lori, I love how he describes Lori as his miracle because it's true. Lori is born from an, uh, an encounter with such a low rate. Like already the comedian was a, the comedian is a terrible person. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jeffrey no D. Doubt. Morgan plays Edward Blake yeah. perfectly, but the comedian's a terrible person. And the fact that Sally goes back and you see that mortality in Sally and her going back and into that possible abusive scenario. Lori is born from that. And from that, she is crafted into this person and this uh, beautiful, strong, intelligent woman. And she becomes this hero all in her own. And even when all the odds are stacked against her, she still wants to go back and help. She doesn't care. And even though the comedian is her father in the end, she is not the comedian. She is something far more. She is better. She is a light in the darkness. And I love how John realizes that. And he's like, good can come from humanity and he's interested again something has happened that has sparked his interest again and then he goes back to earth and he realizes adrian's done this and he 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 even says it um i had forgotten what it was like not to know he's his interest is just sparked right away in like this these 10 minutes of lori being the comedian's daughter and yet still wanting to save the world and adrian pulling off this epic doomsday essentially with him not knowing at all or not even having a clue and it's just absolutely love that moment and i just i do agree with it completely john is an omnipotent god he does not care he wants no part uh in what the world is going on and he just wants to do his own thing and there gets to a point where he realizes if they don't want my help why should i keep giving it which is kind of also what snyder tried to ask in batman versus superman but didn't do it well so does does this make john a villain this is this is the great thing about watchmen too that i also say is that there none of them are heroes and none of them are villains they very much tread this line throughout the entire book where and it really it does like give it like what would superheroes actually be like you know dan and laurie are arguably the two best okay they're the two that are mostly fighting for good they do good they don't really you know, do evil. Rorschach and the comedian are on the opposite end of that spectrum. And Adrian is such an interesting thing because Adrian at the end is this big moral debate where in some people's eyes, Adrian is seen as the villain, but in some people's eyes, he is seen as the hero because Adrian does what is necessary. And Adrian um, is a product of his own ego. And I absolutely love it. I don't know if you noticed this, Rob, when reading the book, but in chapter two, when they're at the comedian's funeral, and uh, Andrew, you've seen this in the film when they're at the funeral and it's flashing back. There's the flashback to the first Crime Stoppers meeting where they have the map up and they're talking about the riots. Mm-hmm. Originally in this, uh, in the book, Captain Metropolis of the Minutemen runs this meeting, but in the movie, Adrian runs it. So this is what, something that the movie cuts out that's absolutely devastating. But so the comedian still stands up, gives his old talk and everything, lights the fire on the map and says, and then Ozymandias will be the smartest man on the cinder. And he starts walking out and he says, see you all on the funny pages. And as he's walking out, everyone else is like, all right, if the comedian's out, we're out, like we're done. Everyone's walking away. And it's this beautiful, beautiful panel 
uh, where Adrian is in his, he's in his Aussie suit and with the mask on, and he's holding this charred up burnt map in the foreground. And then in the background, you see all the heroes walking out and Captain Metropolis is just yelling with one speech bubble. Don't you see somebody has to save the world. And then it flashes back to Adrian side profile, still looking at the comedian's grave. Gotcha. So great. It is excellent foreshadowing. I and it's, I did not even notice that. That's uh, it's good. so good. There's also in chapter five, there's a scene where um, uh, the newspaper man is talking to the boy mm-hmm. and he says, you know, I bet there's stuff that we don't notice all the time. And when he's saying that, if you look in the background, you can see the protester uh, who is Rorschach, Rorschach looking in the dead drop at the clue that was left behind for him. And that reveals that that guy is Rorschach five or six pages before Rorschach's mask is actually taken off. Right. Interesting. Fucking fantastic. Nice. That's um, awesome. Yeah. There's so many great things like that in the book. Uh, that's also what I love about rereading the book is every time I reread it, I discover something new about it. Just but funny. that is my favorite thing of foreshadowing is that somebody has to save the world. And I love that because that moment is what sparks the entire book. That's why Adrian does what he does. That's why he does this thing because he realizes the world is going to go to war and we're all going to die. So he thinks I can save it. I'm the smartest man in the world. And, and the thing that bothers me most is that Adrian doesn't do this, though, to be a hero. Don't think for a second he does this to be a hero. He does this because the comedian says, you can't do this. It's inevitable. He will be, he will prove him wrong. He will prove that he is right. He is nothing more than a product of his own fucking ego because he is the smartest man on earth. He is Lex Luthor times a hundred. Yeah. He does not do this to be a hero. He does not do this. He And then he tries to be all the morally good guy in the end. He's like, I did what no one else would. I saved the world. I did this. You did this because some guy said to you, it's inevitable. We're all going to die. We're all going to go to war. You can't stop it. And he was like, watch me. Watch me stop it. it that's that's why I can do it. Yeah. yeah. That's why Adrian does it. And it's also why I, I love it. I love all the characters. And I don't agree with Adrian's choice in the end. I don't agree with the killing millions to save billions while it is a very interesting, interesting thanos <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. it's, it's, I, I also love thanos but it is a very interesting argument at the end of the day adrian still blindsided the entire world keeps this giant secret from them and well, commits genocide he commits so, fucking sometimes genocide. sometimes you have to crack a few eggs mm-hmm. and but even so though what bothers me the most about it is that he doesn't do it to be a hero he yeah. acts like he does it to be a hero but he doesn't to stroke it's, his own fucking it's, ego it's almost it's almost like he's on twitter yeah and i am um, uh, you know you know how you know adrian's in the wrong ted cruz supported him openly on an interview last year okay ted cruz openly talked about okay. watchmen well, and how ozymandias was conceived was uh perceived poorly and everything uh, it, it was it was fucked okay, okay um, hold on hold on here no politics, number one. <laughs> number two. Okay, so uh, let, let's, Andrew, have you, did you watch the show at all, the TV show? No. Okay. No, I haven't watched oh. the show. So, I, Jeremy I Irons is fantastic. He, he actually plays, he actually plays Adrian the way Adrian should be played. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. So, Andrew, I recommend watching the show. It is out there. It is way out there. It is it's so weird. But I, it like will, the it will I like the story. I like the story. Yeah, oh, the story, but the show the show goes in a whole different direction, and it was nothing that I expected, nothing like I expected. Mm. But the performances, you'll appreciate the performances yeah. more. Jeremy Irons, the actress who played Lori. Jean Smart. Yeah, she's as the FBI agent later on. Fantastic. Like, in a yeah. whole, oh, it, it just takes that story and just makes it, like, it just elevates it as well. I is she in Latex as well? 
No, she uh, is now. I want to see her in latex anyway. Yeah, and, um, uh, <laughs> and in the TV show, vigilantes are still outlawed, and Lori is now head of the vigilante task force of the FBI. And it takes in. place 34 so years good. later. So, yeah, if that tells you anything, that's right. So, yeah. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I loved what they did with all the characters in the TV show. And what I also love, though, is that the guy who did the TV show, Damon Lindelof, who is responsible for the leftovers, he gets the source material in the characters. Where Zack Snyder, he kind of gets it and he can, he adapted the book, but he doesn't understand the characters, which is very apparent in his casting of Matthew Good as Ozzy, as I was saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Because Matthew Good, Ozzy is in the book very little and he's in the movie even less, but his role is one of the most vital. And it misses the mark. He plays it so poorly. He puts on this weird accent for no reason that you can't understand him. And I absolutely hate that Zack Snyder just had to give like the FU to everyone because Adrian gives this really great line in the book where when they confront him at, in his palace and he's just like, and he explains the whole plan and they're like, we'll stop you. And he's like, he's like, I'm not a Republic serial villain. I did it 35 minutes ago. I, why would I tell you if there was even a chance you could stop me? And it's I've it's great. It. And 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 the movie brings that down to Dan, grow up. I'm not a comic book of villain. I did this already. Like that's it. It's he's so he's talking in this weird half accent that fades in and fades out. He's all diva-ish. He's like, grow up. It's ah, <laughs> uh, it's so frustrating. And then you have in the show where they reference it again because. Jeremy Irons Adrian is at his typewriter typing a note and he references it and he says, you must think of me as some Republic serial villain. And he just, he nails it. And it's exactly what Adrian should be. He has that ego, that confidence, that, that asshole energy where he's like, fuck you. I can do whatever I want. I'm Adrian Veidt. I think there should have been more focus on him throughout the film. Mm-hmm. There's well, it, yes and no. I think the stuff they cut out needed to be in there because there's a lot more with Adrian that should have been there or some information and backstory that should have somehow been filled in. But the movie does get it right where Adrian is seen at the very beginning, the scene in the middle where he's right. almost killed, and then he's all the way at the end. And I love how that works in the book because you think he's not important, but he's the most important piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think, I, I don't know, obviously Andrew didn't enjoy the film as much, but you like the storyline. So I think it's at least uh, worth it for you to, if you have a chance, I sent you a link, at least, you know, grab the comic book if you have a chance and read it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, but follow up with the show. Now that you've seen the, the movie, follow up with the, the show, if anything, yeah. right? And that's, uh, you, you have access to the account for that. So check it out. It's, it's interesting. It's fun. They are hour, an hour long each episode. So it will be mm-hmm. a long haul, but. That's not bad. It's only yeah, nine episodes. Yeah, and they're fun. Do you know, Joe, are they going to uh, follow up with another season or no? No. So what I was about to say was Damon Lindelof did the leftovers. He understood the source material because when he was 14, I believe, his dad walked into his room with a stack of 12 issues of Watchmen, threw them on his bed and said, you're not ready for this and walked out. And that's what infatuated Damon Lindelof with Watchmen. To make make it his life mission. Yeah. And so he was approached and he knew the material inside and out. People at uh, Warner Brothers, HBO, they all knew that he knew it inside out. And they asked him for years to make it, to do a show, do a show, do a show. And he finally said, fine, I'll do a show. And he wrote, he wrote the nine episodes. He filmed the nine episodes. It was all fantastic. And then he said, he's like, no, this is the story that I've told. I don't want to do anything else. And um, uh, people were like, what if you did like an anthology? What if, you know, you told a different point of view? Because the thing also that's great about Watchmen is that the ending is open-ended, like the ending is open-ended, where at the end of the movie slash comic, 
Rorschach's journal is found. And the question is now, does the world believe what is in Rorschach's journal and Adrian did this, or do they just think it's propaganda? And the show explores it as this is propaganda, where the comic Doomsday Clock, the uh, unofficial sequel done by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, explores it as Rorschach is, Rorschach's word is taken and people believe that Adrian has done this and he is now a criminal. And it's two very interesting uh, spectrums that are explored. But Damon Lindelof says he will not do a second season, doesn't want to. He says, though, if anybody else wanted to, and if WB slash HBO wanted to go ahead with it, to go ahead. But HBO will not do anything else with The Watchmen without Damon Lindelof. So mm. I respect that, but it also frustrates me because I want so much more of The Watchmen universe. Yeah. Because okay. Okay, sorry, so this is my last sorry. point, Rob. This yeah, my yeah. last point. My last point is that I was reading an article and it was saying that things DC needs to stop doing. And one of them was publishing 50 Batman books a week, which I agree with. But the second thing <laughs> was they need to stop, was uh, they, they need to stop using Watchmen so much. And I was like, Watchmen is the like most critically acclaimed and most successful, like best-selling graphic novel of all time. And in it has existed since 1986. So in it's almost 40 years of existence, Watchmen has had a movie two sequel comics, and a TV show. It has had four things. Oh, and, and a prequel series. It has had five things. And you're telling us we need to stop milking Watchmen when I have read 10 different Batman stories in the last two months? <laughs> really? <laughs> They're not using Watchmen enough over there. <laughs> Good Lord. So, so they just overuse Batman. Yeah. yeah, they overuse Batman, and now the Aquaman have their own team-up book for some fucking reason. Yeah, and, and there's mean, a character who, called Monkey Prince. Who, whoever, whoever read Aquaman in the first place, or Green Lantern, or uh, Green Arrow. Anyway, you know my my Aquaman opinion on Green that. Arrow have a team-up book right now. It's hilarious. <laughs> no one's reading it. It's terrible, terrible. Not that I know it because I actually haven't read it because I refuse to read anything like that. But that being said, Joe, uh, let, let's go. Let's let's wrap the Watchmen up a little yeah. bit. But I want to ask. I want to put a question to you. Okay. Is before Watchmen and is the Doomsday Clock essential reading or is it for fanboys like you? It's not even for fanboys like me. <laughs> Before Watchmen is something that I, they're, neither of them are needed to read. Watchmen stands on its own. It was written to stand on its own. It's beautiful as its own. I recommend watching the TV show after just because it's a great follow-up done by a fan who understands the material. Before Watchmen was very much a cash grab to help promote the phone. The writers do not understand the characters that they are writing for whatsoever. It is absolutely terrible. Rorschach has like this whole persona that's built up in the book and his prequel series is about how he falls in love with a girl at a diner and saves her from rapists in the sewer. That's, that's, that's Rorschach's story for some fucking reason. That's weird. That it's weird. weird. It's terrible. So yeah, so before Watchmen Absolutely Hate, Doomsday Clock is okay. It's all right. It wasn't worth the two years it took for the entire 12 yep. issue thing to come out. <laughs> I remember, the buying the, I remember buying the very first issue and then waiting for the next issue and waiting for the next, for the next issue, issue. And, waiting, and it just, yeah. I was like, okay, I don't, I stopped, um, yeah. I stopped after issue three. Yeah, very much take it as, I take it as it's an alternate universe. It's something that you can read and be like, this is an interesting idea. It's fun. It pays some nice tributes and homages to Watchmen, but it is nowhere on the level of Watchmen. It is not that same thing. There are some great moments in it. Like Adrian tells the new, there's a new Rorschach and he tells um, this new Rorschach that he has cancer and that he's going to die in like three months and he wants to make things right. So he goes to find John and there's the first six issues are about finding John and they finally find John and Rorschach is begging him. You have to come back. You have to fix things. Our world is about to go to war again. Everything's about to end. Adrian can't fix it. He has cancer. And John just turns around and says, Adrian doesn't have cancer. He's lying to you. He's perfectly fine. And that's, and I'm like, that is such an Adrian thing to do. 
It's so great. He's just like, he knows he needs this guy and he knows he can fix everything if he gets John. So he's just going to do whatever it takes to get that. So he can once again, prove himself right. Great Adrian moment. That's hilarious. Yes, it is. But yeah, but so, um, but Doomsday Clock in the end, it doesn't bring up the hype. There are people out there who like it better than Watchmen. And I'm like, if you do, then you miss the point of Watchmen. And I don't know like how you did. Because like, I get it can be overwhelming at first. The first time I read it, it's definitely an overwhelming read. I had to read it two times before I fully got everything, but it's so, so good. And yeah, I don't know how people miss the point. I also don't know how some people side with Adrian or like, he did absolutely nothing wrong. And I'm like, you're a dangerous person. <laughs> Says the guy with a trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dress trench coat, Rob. <laughs> awesome. Well, that, that's good, actually. That good conversation. And I'm glad that you you brought that up, Joe, mm-hmm. because I needed to read this and I'm going to finish it. And it's it's a great read. And as a comic book nerd, I should have read it a long time ago. But I expect I'm- by the end of the week, Rob, while we're um, fulfilling and binding some orders at work that uh, you you tell, talk to me about the ending and how you felt about the book as a whole. I, I will. I will. Are you reading the back matter? I, I am not at the moment. I'm just trying. I was trying to rip. You're just trying to just, get through it. Okay. Yeah. Are, are you reading the pirate stuff? I am reading the pirate stuff. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested is, about your thoughts on the pirate stuff. When it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of cool. We will talk about that. Yeah. Um, That's where we should have started the show. It's the yeah. pirate stuff. The pirate stuff. Oh no, we shouldn't have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay. So let's, uh, let's move into our next subject. I think everybody's right. talked about Watchmen enough. So Joe, you wanted to talk about the best and worst films of 2021 that we've witnessed ourselves yeah i thought it would be a nice way to kind of tie in like my podcast with your guys podcast and this is also something that we like to do on my podcast usually we just don't have it in the schedule this year to do it so we're not doing it over there so i didn't really have a platform to talk about the movies i loved and hated over the last year so yeah i figured hey let's do it here let's talk about it i I love it uh okay so andrew's been kind of uh shut out here for Mm -hmm. for a little while Andrew, that's okay uh, did you have uh, did you have any best and worst? Oh gosh, yeah. The past uh, year? I was actually surprised as to how many films I didn't see over this past year. Do you have like a total number how many you did see? Because I have a total of how many no. I did see. No, no, okay. I don't have a total. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't didn't keep track. But like, and actually, I thought that I'd that I'd actually watched quite a number, but. Like, I mean, there was thousands that I was going through just to kind of refresh myself. And uh, I've, got, I've got a lot to watch. Now, perhaps one of the most interesting shows that I wasn't expecting to enjoy was Tick, Tick, Boom. Have you guys seen it? Um, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom is number five on my list out of, of movies of the year. So you've seen I it. loved it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, have not so used, I don't even know what that is. Um, it's on Netflix, Rob. So it's an easy watch. Okay. It's a musical about the guy who created Rent, the musical Rent. Okay. You do not need to know Rent to go into this because it's all, all about before that. And it's about his life. And it's actually based off of the one man show he did, Tick, Tick, Boom, which explained how he got to where he was right before he created Rent. It's so, so good. The music is so great. It stars Andrew Garfield. He's fantastic in it. The entire cast is great. I had... I, this movie was something that a friend of mine, she and I both discovered Hamilton around the same time and really got into Hamilton together. And she was like, Joe, you got to watch Tick, Tick, Boom. Joe, it's so great. You got to watch Tick, Tick, Boom. You got to watch Tick, Tick, Boom. And I was like, okay. When she first told me it was right before Christmas, I didn't really have the time. So it was like two weeks ago, I finally sat down and I watched it after like a month of her nagging me. And I was like, and I'd heard the the opening song, 3090. And I was just like, this is all right. I'll probably think this is good. I absolutely loved it. 
3090 is stuck in my head. I listen to it like almost every time I'm in the car now once. Like it's it's so good. And I just, I loved, love the things they did. I love the directing style. I love the Broadway nods in it. And I had no idea it was directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. As soon as that end, it ends and it just comes up and says directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. I just went, oh shit, Lin can direct. Like he did a great job. <laughs> I, was, I was a fan. Yeah, uh, like anybody that's a, a creative of any sort mm-hmm. will sit down and love this movie. Yeah. Interesting. When uh, when did it come out? I for some reason I, I don't think November. Uh, November. Okay. So twenty twenty one. It came out. It came out. It was like it was like fall of this past year. It was near the end of the year. Yeah. So that's the one thing that uh, I found when I was trying to think of the best and worst for me is that I did not watch a lot of films this year, and I'm usually pretty hardcore film into films well, and stuff like that. But I've just been so busy mm-hmm. with so many other projects that I have not really sat in front and watched a lot. Don't forget, theaters were closed up until the last week of July slash first week of August here in Ontario. So, like, from, like, usually I watch a movie a week at the theater. So, from the first week of August till the end of the year, I watched only 23 films. Yeah, and to be fair, Hollywood was still behind uh, trying to pump stuff out. And not even just Hollywood, but a lot of the uh, the film festivals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot coming out at the time. So was interesting so i only watched like the required watching of the mcu almost and i know how you feel about the mcu joe but uh, it's just overrated and they're not doing anything new no uh, absolutely and this year i think they really dropped the ball and most of it but uh, andrew andrew sorry i I don't want to chop you off here what what was do you have another favorite or oh gosh i I got i got tons of favorites why why don't you tell me something that's on your list Give me something that's outside of the MCU. We're talking about Dune. Dune was. Did I see Dune? Fucking fantastic. Dune is my number one movie of the year. I am taking a note out of Joe's book and I'm saying fucking fantastic. Fucking fantastic. (laughs) Dune was fucking fantastic. Oh my gosh. I almost bought it last week. I I stared at it kind of like, but I I didn't, I don't know anything about it. So tell me about Dune. Okay. So uh, do you know anything about the book? No. Okay, so Dune is this really awesome sci-fi, and it's um, about this house, House Atreides. So in the in the distant future, there are different planets that are colonized by different houses and clans, and they all are part of the same political system. And the head, I think it's an emperor. I think it's like the, the head name is emperor. The emperor gives House Atreides a new land and a new planet to go. And on this land, there's a civilization that needs to be essentially like conquered and learn to coexist with. So House Atreides goes and they know that it's a trap to get them to lose power, but they, they don't like they, they're going to try and fight against it and make the most of the situation because the planet they're sent to, they go from this great, like lush forest, like earth planet to this sand planet, like Tatooine and Star Wars. Right. And it's this epic sci-fi. It's an epic political sci-fi that does space politics well and amazing, which is something the Phantom Menace could never do. It is entertaining. It is simple to understand, which is a really hard feat to do because the book is very dense. The book is so dense that there is a glossary in the back that you have to flip to to know the names of things. Like there are just names in there of things that you just got to go flip back and find out what they are. It doesn't tell you what they are. The book is so dense. It's it's a very it's a very political driven story too, which is again like you said, what Phantom mm -hmm. Menace failed on. Yeah. So then that makes it the fact that they could simplify it enough that the masses could Mm -hmm. follow along. It's faithful. The CGI, the way it looks, it's beautiful. It's so well done. There's just so much care, love, and quality to this movie. That's so well written, so well acted. 
It's just, it's honestly a perfect movie. I can't say anything bad about this movie. I loved every single moment of this movie. I was, I expected to just go in there and say, okay, yeah, that was a good blockbuster. I was engulfed in this movie. It was so, so amazing. I saw it in IMAX, which I'm so happy I did. It was worth the extra ticket price. Yeah, it was my number one movie of the year, which I, di I didn't expect. You know, usually my number one movie of the year is something that's a little bit more Oscar contendy. Like a few years ago, it was Vice. That was my favorite movie of the right. year, which was really, really great. The Dick Cheney movie. But yeah, no, this was so, so good. Uh, the year before that, it was La La Land, by the way, which was robbed for best picture. But yeah, Dune was so, so great. I loved it. I was shocked by how much I loved it. And best movie of the year. I recommend everyone watches it. And if you don't like it, that means you like the MCU and fuck you. Okay. You don't know what a good <laughs> well, fucking hold movie on here. is. Hold on here. I love the MCU. I no, I don't say it's perfect, but no, I'm I saying love... if you don't like to, if you go in and you watch Dune and you're like, this isn't fantastic. I'm like, fuck. I don't like That's to right. be the kind of guy. Like I like to believe, and I do believe that cinema is for everyone. Everyone's going to like their own things. And like the things that I like are very different from the things that someone else is going to like. But if you don't like Dune, you don't fucking know cinema. So fuck off at this point. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It, it, is, it is absolutely beautiful. The acting is fantastic. And you guys I mean, got me hyped up for Dune now. Yeah, yeah. At, the, at the end, it's two hours and 35 minutes long. And when it ended, it ended so abruptly. I was like, I, it was almost, it was jarring the way yeah. it ended in that sense. And that like, I'm like, oh my God. Like I, and I didn't even feel the two hours and 35 minutes yeah, go by. You don't feel them. Yeah. Um, Jason just... Momoa also is an actor who I don't usually care for. He's fine. People are obsessed with him. He was one of my favorite parts of this movie. I wanted to just keep seeing more of him. Every time I saw him on screen, I was like, yes, there's more of Jason Momoa. He was so good as Duncan. So yeah. good. Yeah. Awesome. And honestly, every, every, I don't think I could complain about any of the actors. Oscar Isaac's character was a little dry, but I think that it was, I mean, I, I, I can't even hate him for it. it. It was, it was just such a good movie. And I'm like, I, as I understand and correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't meant to be uh, a sequel or anything like that. They weren't going to make the next part because they wanted to see how it was going to play out. Yeah, and, it hasn't even started filming yet. But they are definitely, definitely got confirmed. Going, yep. yep. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is coming back to Helmet. I don't know if you guys have seen everything anything else by Denis. Uh, Denis is one of my favorite directors. He's Canadian. He's very talented. He did the first Sicario. Uh, he did Arrival, which was my movie of the year for 2016 before I saw La La Land. So it was number two in the end. He's so talented, so good. He did the Blade Runner sequel that everyone really liked a few right. years back. He's so, so good at what he does. He's a great up and coming director. And every time he does something, him and Damien Chazelle, every time they do something, I'm like, I can't wait to see what you do next. Because everything magic. they do, it progressively, the next thing is better. And the next he, thing is better. He's also going to be doing, uh, it's been announced that he's going to be doing Cleopatra which it, it, it seems like that's in his ballpark in mm -hmm. these type of, I, I shouldn't say period pieces, but it, it kind of has that period piece feel. Yeah. His stuff. He's doing so, period pieces, but like futuristic period pieces. Yeah. And it's so, so fucking science cool. fiction period it's pieces. So fucking if cool. you can get around that. Mm -hmm. So, so Andrew, so you haven't seen it. You need to see it. That yeah. would, that will be, you know what, to be honest, that I believe that is greater. And I'm sure Joe will be criticizing me on this, but Growing up, I was Star Wars was always my thing, and the original Star Wars and the original Star Wars trilogy will always be my thing. This possibly has pushed Star Wars out. Yeah, oh, this wow. is better. Top. This is better. Dune so, is better. It's so, so what, good. What else do you have for us? That because 
Um, that was actually Rob's pick, and yeah. then you just jumped mm-hmm. in because it was right. your number one. Yeah. Yeah. But what, what else you got here? Up, I will. Shut I'm up, gonna. Joe. I'll sound off my top ten really quickly in order, and then you guys can pick what you want to talk about. Okay. Right. So these good. are my top ten: Dune, Spencer, Encanto, French Dispatch, Tick Tick Boom, The Power of the Dog, Spider Man No Way Home, Shang Chi, Free Guy, and The Suicide Squad. Ah, I'm glad that you listed that because. Number one, I'm going to say Suicide Squad is my favorite superhero movie of all time. Really? The Suicide Squad, of course. Now, talking about Rob, I have to ask you, why not the first Suicide Squad? Because you know it's an Academy Award winning film, right? It is a piece of shit film. It's so, <laughs> so terrible. And the only it good makes thing... me mad that that movie is an Academy Award winning film. But it also gives me so much joy whenever any cinephile brings up that movie and to like, shit on it to, and compare it to something and i just get to butt in and be like are you talking about the academy award-winning film suicide squad <laughs> yes and i've heard that on your podcast okay i get it oh, you I don't have to bring it i here. love okay. it so great <laughs> i i must say the original suicide squad did bring us harley quinn the margot robbie version of harley quinn which was fantastic as a harley quinn fan i absolutely loved her and she is a perfect person she's as perfect as anya taylor joy for magic Oh my in, God, Robin fucking Anya Taylor Joy for Magic. My God, oh, if I had a doll for every, every time, time I heard, heard Rob that. talk about We'd Anya all be Taylor Joy is Magic, per- and how she's the perfect casting, perfect casting. she needs to come it. back, she and how they're to. wasting her if they don't do something with her, and exactly. how New Mutants was a good movie. Rob, New Mutants was my worst movie last year that I saw. It was really? so fucking bad. It was a piece <laughs> oh. of shit. That movie, okay, New Mutants is worse than the first Suicide Squad film, and Rob's like, it had Anya Taylor Joy's Magic. It can do no wrong. Shut up, Joe. The villain is a bear, Rob. The villain listen, is a bear. Listen, listen. I understand. I understand if you're not a not comic even a geek, real bear. I understand if you're not a comic geek, you will not like it. So clearly, Joe, I you're not. A comic you geek. are not. You're you're a failure for a comic geek. Dog so. shit, Rob. Dog shit. Also, it really was, and it all be who comic gives a movies. Fuck about the new the... mutants, okay? If Cable and Domino aren't there, who gives a fuck about the new? I mutants? am the only person that cares about the new mutants. So yeah. fuck you. <laughs> anyway, we we have dropped way too many f bombs. I have dropped way too many F-bombs. Joe, you can continue to drop F-bombs all you want. Fucking thank you. <laughs> okay, but the this Suicide Squad was my favorite uh, superhero movie of all time. Far surpassing. Still wasn't a big fan of that either. <laughs> no, I, I know no. you didn't You did like it uh, uh, quite uh, like I did. Yeah. And, uh, I, I felt like they were making fun of superheroes. I don't know. They were. It was just, they were. Yeah. 100% they were. Uh, felt like that. <laughs> I just didn't think it was right. Mm, no i see i i felt like it fit the, the D, dc needed something that was a little bit lighthearted yet still had that darker edge that they're known for and something yeah. that was fun by a director that you knew could be trusted with this material and that got people to come in because now the suicide squad happened it's gotten people into peacemaker and now because of that you know the things that they're going to do next they've got the Batgirl movie coming the flash movie People are going to go see those now because they're like, okay, maybe this is getting better. Now we have faith because as much as you have those diehard Snyder fans out there, Mm -hmm. Justice League and Batman versus Superman are pretty universally hated and seen as absolutely terrible. And they are. They're not great. Even if you take the Snyder cut, it's only like 5% better than the theatrical cut. Okay. It's better. But just because something, just because water soaked, uh, sorry, bread soaked in water is better than bread soaked in piss does not mean that it's good. (laughs) <laughs> that's a very good analogy and, and that's the one thing too is that i think dc needed something to set them apart from number one the, the dark black batman stereotype that they're they're still hung up on as well okay, as that movie set, looks fucking great though. I, oh i absolutely want to see that yeah. uh but the it, they needed to get away from the mcu 
and they also mm. needed to get away from the serious tones and suicide squad takes it to the the deadpool uh level but beyond that because yeah. they didn't hold anything back i would agree so i think i mean that so yeah you've basically talked about my two favorite movies andrew there was actually you- a lot on your list that i wasn't even aware of uh same okay. I, I i am ashamed to admit i i am not a good fil- uh, why don't we get into a couple of those kind of others of your favorites that okay. that are aren't your your comic books movies okay. that uh, um, spencer let's talk about spencer okay spencer is a movie oh this is the lady I, diana movie right lady diana rob knows yes. about this this movie okay. caused controversy at work this past week <laughs> rob knows about this mm-hmm. so this movie made me do the unthinkable where i walked out of this movie and i said someone should give Kristen stewart an oscar <laughs> which yeah I, I okay yeah. i just want to say despite what everybody else is saying she looked the part and I actually had hope for her because I think she is a cardboard actress. And I actually had hope when I seen her in this role, but I haven't watched it yet. So yeah, you haven't watched it yet. So Kristen Stewart actually has found her way into being able to act a little bit over the past few years. In my opinion, from what I know and what I've seen of Princess Diana, I think she kills it. I think she embodies her well. She looks the part. I think she does a fantastic job in this film. This film is very much a self-contained film that takes place over three days. This is not a movie about her life. This is not a movie about her legacy. This is a movie exploring what it, would, what it was like to be with the, the, the royal family. That is what this movie is trying to show and illuminate, and illuminate the type of person Diana was and her struggle. And it's an artsy film as well. It is very artsy. Okay, but it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully well done. There's only one sequence I didn't like in this film, which is a sequence at the end where she's in her childhood home kind of going through everything. And most of it is good. It's just the part of the very end over where there's a scene over a staircase that got a little weird. And I was like, okay, but it it has a beautiful montage right after that. So that montage kind of it apologizes for it. I'm like, okay, this is okay. Um, <laughs> I can forgive that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's so it's so well done. It's so well acted. It's such a great watch. There's also some really good camera shots in this film. Like they're just nice they're shots that wouldn't normally work. There is a shot where there's an argument going on, and you just see their feet standing across from a pool table. And this shot should not work, but it works. There are just so many experimental shots in this film that I absolutely hmm. love. So much is being tried and the envelope is being pushed subtly in this film and it's done so, so well. I'm just such a fan. I loved it so much. I saw it with my mom. And I she, don't even know how I haven't heard of this movie. I don't know either. Yeah, I saw it with my mom and she adored Diana. Yeah. And uh, she said that she embodied the character. She embodied her well. My mom was a fan. So that was kind of like my also gold stamp approval where I was like, mm-hmm. okay. I'm, mom likes it. Nature. Good. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. because of the the theaters were closed down for so much of the year that we I didn't get to see all those previews that I generally would yeah. that would attract me to m- movies that I otherwise wouldn't hear of. Yeah, I, I typically sit in front of YouTube and watch trailers, upcoming mm-hmm. movies. Some of the the uh, I don't remember the channel that does it, but there's some channels that they just they'll they'll put like a 20 minute video on with all the upcoming mm-hmm. trailers from stuff. And I usually, that's usually how I come across most of my stuff, but I've been a total failure this year at that. But I I know Spencer was on my list and my brother, he was a big fan of uh, Lady Di and my sister-in-law is a big fan of the Royals. So it, you know, it was on my radar for sure. And I just, I had forgotten when you said Spencer, I'm like, oh, what the hell is Spencer? Is this some kind of spy movie? And then I, Mm -hmm. then it dawned on me as soon as 
you started talking I'm like oh my god that's a lady die movie so uh, i'm definitely interested in seeing it i hope that it's uh, available soon was it did it have a theater run? Yeah, or? I saw it in theaters. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was a theater movie or if it was film festival. It was. Movie. It was an. It was more of an indie film, so the theatrical release wasn't that big. But I saw it in Ancaster. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but yeah that's Spencer was beautiful. So well done. I really recommend it. I gave it a nine. The only movie I gave it ten out of ten to this year was Dune, but mm-hmm. Spencer got a nine out of ten for me. Easy. It was one of two movies that got a nine out of ten for me. Yeah. So so for it. for those listening, Joe is very critical. So for him to give a 10 or a nine, it seems to be quite the stretch. So I'm actually pretty impressed. So whether or not uh, Joe and I agree on our our tens and nines Mm -hmm. will be a different story, but I I definitely will give this one an open-hearted chance. Uh, Even even though it has Kristen Stewart, I will give it a chance. No, I walked out of this and I was honestly like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am rooting for her to have an Oscar this year. I am hoping at the very least she's nominated. I don't know if she's going to win, but I'm just hoping she's nominated because she honestly deserves it. <laughs> so, so and I know you don't want to talk about the Oscars too much, but okay. So let's say Robert Pattinson, you know, knocks it out of the park with the Batman. When does Jacob show up? When does Jacob get his chance at a good movie? What, what even happened to um, a Taylor, uh, Lautner? T- Taylor Lautner? Has anybody <laughs> seen him in the last, the last thing I saw him in, this is no word of a lie. The last thing I saw him in was Grown Ups 2, where he plays the, the frat boy. That's the last thing I saw Taylor Lautner in, guys. I haven't seen him since. What happened to him? So for, for those listening, and for Andrew specifically, I, just so you know, the, the, the tie between Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, and Jacob, uh, or sorry, Jacob, Taylor Lautner, is that they were all in Twilight together. And if you didn't okay. know that when listening to this podcast... How did you not? Well, no, I, you should be happy that you do not know that. <laughs> yeah, you should. You should. I haven't, I haven't seen Twilight. So like, I, I know nothing know about Twilight. And Andrew doesn't have a bunch of women running around in his house. So <laughs> uh, he doesn't need to know anything about Twilight. That's fine. So. Oh, Rob, were your, were your daughters into like Twilight and everything? My did you have wife, to go through that? My wife. Your wife. Were, oh. Yeah, and and my, my children. All my children were into it as well. Well, not my son, but my, my daughters were as well. Mm. I say all my children as if I have like a multitude of children. That I know well, you have you have your fair share. Let's. Be I don't honest. know if I'm allowed to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it. One of my best friends came out as gay to my friend group mm-hmm. by telling us he liked Twilight. That's how he came out. Okay. That, okay. So, so did he? I pretty much does it right there. <laughs> did, did he preface it that he liked Twilight, or did he say I'm gay and I like Twilight? No, he prefaced it by saying I like Twilight. Okay. <laughs> okay, I understand. Yeah, that's how I he know came what you're out. saying to he me told, now. Yeah. He told my girlfriend first and that, that's how she found okay. out. And then like the funniest thing about it is, is that I was at the time just being like, you know, I, I was like, I, I was trying to set him up with another person who we were friends with. Right. Emma, and I was like, oh, you should date her. You know, I think you guys would be good together. You know, I think it would go good. And he's like, you know, you, I'm like, you know, you should move in on that. And he's like, there's so much you don't know. And I'm like, are you dating someone? Like what's going, like, he wouldn't tell me. It's just so cryptic. And then we had Dungeons and Dragons one day and we're over at my other friend's house. And it's just the three of us there waiting for everyone to show up. Three nights before my mom had met him and said, your friend's gay, you know? And I'm like, no, he's not. If he was gay, I would know hundred percent. And she's like, I bet you 20 bucks. You'll know in the next five years that he's gay. And I'm like, you're on. We're in the basement of my friend's house. And he's like, I got to tell you Here's something. Your money. And yeah. And he's like, and he goes, I'm gay. And I said, oh fuck. And he's like, is, is that a problem? I'm like, no, I just yeah. owe my mom 20 bucks now. <laughs> <laughs> one of his favorite stories <laughs> that's awesome that, that is hilarious that's actually absolutely hilarious yeah but it, he came out originally by being like i like twilight and when i heard that story i, I laughed so hard it's so good such a good story 
Now, have either of you guys seen the tender bar this year? No, no, no. It's on Amazon right now. If you guys have access, really, really good movie. Uh, George Clooney directs Ben Affleck is one of the stars. Ty Sheridan uh, is also in there. It's an interesting story about this boy that really, he doesn't know his father at all. His father left when he was very young. His father is a, is a, like a radio broadcaster. So the only thing that he knows about him is, is his voice and in really how he needs a male figure in his life and how his uncle becomes that in Ben Affleck pay, plays that character, but definitely one to see. Okay. It was did a movie see, I really enjoyed. Did you see uh, the way back with Ben Affleck last year? No, I didn't. It was really, really good. I really like him doing these more serious dramatic roles again. Yeah. I think he's great in them. He's yeah, a guy that gets way too much heat. Way yeah, he does. Heat. He gets way too much heat. He's such a great actor. And he just seems like a really great guy. I'm happy him and Kevin Smith are friends again. <laughs> but yes, it's, uh, 100% though. Um, um, if it's I've just added to my ben list Affleck, to see. Yeah, Ben Affleck in a serious role. I'll see that. No problem. Yeah, he's he's great. And I enjoyed him as Batman as well. Not going to lie, whether people like that or not. But yeah, Ben Affleck's would catch catches way too much heat so i'm definitely i'm gonna check uh check out both those movies he's a good director too i mean didn't he directed argo too right yeah he did so, he's a really was, good director yeah very good so uh, let's move on so we, we've talked about a few of the movies that everybody has liked why don't we talk about our uh our bombs our our bottom of the, uh, the charts you know what i'll start it off okay because i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the mcu right here right Oh, Black you're gonna say it. You're gonna I'm, say it. I'm gonna no, no. You don't think uh, you know you're wrong because I actually like the Eternals. Uh, Fuck off. No, Black, I thought Black. you were Spider Man. Oh no, 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 no. Because Spider Man, Spider Man is the best MCU film. I wasn't like a, it's. I'm not as impressed as everybody else was with. I it. know where you're going though. The Winter Soldier is the best MCU film. But go okay. on. Okay. Well, 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 that'd be something I'll have to like debate at another time. But <laughs> I really was disappointed with Black Widow. Oh, everyone they, was. They did Actually, I wasn't. They did her dirty. I know I know you liked it. I, I did they like did her it. dirty. No. And I also think that they ruined the Taskmaster. They did. I don't care that Taskmaster was a woman. I care that oh, Taskmaster no. was wasted. Yeah, that she was just a clone robot. Yeah. Taskmaster, you know. Andrew, do you know about Taskmaster? To be honest, I forgot a lot of the history about mm-hmm. Taskmaster. Taskmaster is just this really awesome mercenary and trained killer. And he's just really badass. He's got a lot of gadgets. He's always like studying up on his opponent, knows their right. moves. And like, he's, he's a contracted mercenary. That's what he is. And that's how he's always ending up against the Avengers and always villains are hiring him to do their dirty work. Right. He's, he's also vocal. He's vocal. He's, he's yeah. active. He's interactive. Uh-huh. He's very intimidating as well. Mm-hmm. And just the movie doesn't get any of that at mm-hmm. all. And then plus for the future of the MCU, you know, we don't we don't get a taskmaster now from yeah. what they've done the way black widow ends we don't get that really awesome character they just they ruined a character like completely ruined a character like to the point of is almost as if sony made the movie <laughs> i just found it unfortunate now who's gonna I, I, watch morbius <laughs> oh, he, he, uh, i don't know i'm i'm intrigued but i'm not at the same time so i'm not a fan of the, the trailer what was the other trailer that was underwhelming to me oh moon knight really i, I thought that one was good i thought that was I, one of the better marvel trailers really? I, I was kind of underwhelmed with it somebody else secretly took me aside at the shop the other day and said what do you think of the moon knight trailer really 
said i didn't really care for it because everybody was just like everybody's just goo goo gaga over it in the shop and i was just like hmm it was okay i wasn't <laughs> buying it but i think again, i know who that was uh, i'm trying to remember who it was <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know who it was. Okay. And you know who it was? Okay. Yeah. Well, when we're done here, I want to ask if I know who it is. Okay. Because I think yeah. I know who it is. Yeah. So uh, anyway, let's get back to actual films and stuff. Uh, yeah, I was just really disappointed with Black Widow. They did her dirty. It should have been a film that was out years ago. And, but to be honest, though, a shining star came out of it. Uh, Yelena. Florence, who is Yelena. Florence, yep. Florence, uh, she has become in this this year. She's become my favorite actress. Midsummer, I watched. I don't know if Midsummer is a 2021 film or not, but it's not. No, okay. So I can't put that on the list. But she has just come out of nowhere, and as far as I'm concerned, she did a fantastic job of Yelena. Florence Hugh is an amazing actress. I've been saying that for years since like she first started showing up in things i absolutely loved her in little woman i think it was two years ago now little women was two years ago she was so so great absolutely love her she's a fantastic actress and i'm really excited that she's doing all these really great dramatic roles and all these really great more you know traditional cinema roles but also she's in the mcu so we get to see her in something fun and she's in a role that she's absolutely killing and that is actually fun and exciting to see mm-hmm. And hopefully that she has a bright future in the MCU and they don't just drop her onto a team that that makes her like a sidekick. But yeah. Uh, Now, a movie that I really wanted to see do well and I was so disappointed by it was Mortal Kombat. I didn't see it. No? No. No, it, uh, gosh. Of course, there's some great fight scenes as there should be, but just the... The storyline, ah, oh, it's a little bit cringy. I'll be honest. Well, I, I let's. You got to see it though, just to yeah. say that you well, have. I'll definitely watch it because I mean, I actually enjoy. Like, we'll go back way back to the original Mortal Kombat film. Terrible film, but great at the same time. It was like one of these movies that you just. It was painful to watch, but at the same time, it was fun. And if you just took your brain out of it for a minute. It was actually a lot of fun. And the soundtrack was killer. The soundtrack was like a fatality on its own. Uh, so definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'll, sure about what the soundtrack was like for this movie. I'd have yeah. to go back and check that one. But yeah, I, I was just disappointed by it. Yeah, I, I don't think I really had high expectations for it. But I know you like your action and you like your uh, martial arts. And yeah, probably a lot of gore in that movie. How about yourself, Joe? What, what's on the worst for you? Um, so my absolute worst movie of this year was The uh, Eternals. I think... Oh, really? God, okay. I, I hated that movie. <laughs> I hated that movie. That is one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. Okay. That, that almost is on Jupiter ascending level of trash. Okay. <laughs> Fuck so... The Eternals. The Eternals was so, You guys so are going to fight, aren't you? Bad. Oh my uh... gosh. Wait, wait, wait. Before we go, Rob, okay? Because I'm, uh, I'm just want to, I just want to read you my review of the Eternals because that's, I feel like just the best way to encapsulate how I really feel about a movie is my thoughts that I write as I leave the theater walking to my car and I post on Facebook for everyone to ignore and not care about. So let me just, I'm just finding it here. That's Spider-Man. That's licorice pizza. We're going to get to licorice yeah, yes. pizza. So, so while, while you're trying, while you're trying to find oh, that, I, I found just, it. Well, I just want to preface this by saying that I understand why people didn't like the movie. I understand comic people being offended by it and i also know that when they took the press junkers 
and they made it all about the fact that the cast was diverse and they didn't talk about the movie itself yeah. that right there tells me okay so they know that the movie sucks and they're gonna spin it to make it sound like it's a great progressive film and right there i was like okay here this we go. movie is written and directed by the woman who won best picture at the oscars last year mm-hmm. and it's shit that tells you something mm-hmm. yeah this is my review of the eternals this is going to take a hot moment, so Hit sit it. back I, and relax, I, gentlemen. It's okay. I got my beer. <laughs> Eternals was a movie I thought I wasn't going to like, but people kept telling me it was actually good, so I went to see it and give it a shot, and man, I should have trusted my instincts. Eternals is a convoluted mess. The main plot, quote-unquote, makes absolutely no sense. There is no reason for there to be a divide in whether or not the celestial being raised is a good thing, because even if it creates new life, the cycle of destruction in favor of a race of gods to exist continues. This is something none of the characters can realize for some reason, and it makes the entire inner conflict of the team pointless. The movie tries to have this deep moral conflict, but really it's just lazy writing. The characters are rushed. The film tried to fit all these characters in, but focuses for the most part on shoving this fruitless, boring love story from the past down your throat. All the other characters hardly have time to grow, and with the constant time jumping and so much context missing, every big action a character does is immediately followed up by a two-minute monologue justifying those actions because the film has devoted zero time to building up that moment. Granted, the movie does build up a final fight. It takes two hours of boring, slow, dragged-out buildup to get us to our final fight against evil. Who is evil? Well, the movie decides to change that every 20 minutes. We start with the Deviants being the threat, then it's the Celestials, then it's the Deviants again, then we're back to the Celestials, then it's Icarus, then it's the Deviants, Celestials, and Icarus in a messy, rushed final confrontation that ends in a lazily written final leap of faith-like plan where Icarus flies into the sun. Um, The movie relies heavily on exposition for the entire first and second act. The first moment where an actual good twist could occur is immediately flattened by a five-minute scene of exposition that spoils everything about the movie. Then the final twist-slash-betrayal is just obvious and you can see coming. The movie doesn't have any faith in the intelligence of its audience whatsoever. I could go on, but I think I've made my point. I'd love to list the things that I enjoyed about the movie, but I really can't think of anything. The special effects are cool, I guess. The movie doesn't look bad. And in the beginning, I did like some of the characters and for the first 30 minutes i had a lot of faith and was really enjoying the film before i give my score here's a quick list of other things that need to be mentioned number one why does the deviant become a humanoid for no reason it's only ever explained how they came back but never why this one just had the power to absorb power and become a humanoid if human deviant is sentient and gets the memories of those he killed wouldn't he just realize that the eternals were played by the celestials just like him instead of targeting them he should just target the celestials and realize this is really all just their fault Three, why is there just a sudden sex scene in the desert in this family-friendly movie? Number four, Dane Whitman is wasted. Number five, why does more time towards a child being in love with a full-grown man, but we can't see an actual good relationship between between Druig and Makari flourish? I knew that Sprite is fully grown mentally, but still, it is a 16-year-old playing her. Like, why? Number six, Star Fox is not a good character. We should not be redeeming this terrible, disgusting character with an MCU version played by Harry Styles. Seriously, the comics have kept him dead for almost four years now, and that streak should have been kept. Two out of ten. <laughs> I think I think we just said <laughs> awesome. that Harry Styles showed up. <laughs> I'm upset that Star Fox is in that movie. The guy <laughs> who is known for being a rapist in Marvel Comics, and that's it. We're putting him in the movie. And we're like, but don't worry, he's played by Harry Styles, so he's cool now. The Me Too movement at its finest, folks. 
<laughs> well, that's what this whole film is really projected. I guess, like I said, in the in the junkets, they were going for a little bit of Wokistan and wanted to be all about the diversity of the cast. And I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the, the diversity of the cast, like the cast, as far as I'm concerned, the cast was great. The actors were great, but I do, I do get most of your points. Like most of your points are, are pretty spot on, but I didn't hate the film. I actually, I watched it from front to, to the end and I actually kind of enjoyed it. And I'm usually a little more cynical about films. Uh, I, I'm a little bit like you sometimes, Joe. Uh, but I just, I didn't see all of the hate in it. And yeah, it was a bit of a mess, but. A I, bit of a mess. I thought it was okay. I thought it, like, I mean, I'm not giving it like, you know, an eight out of 10 or by any means, but I would say I would put it, put it at a five. Um, yeah, this, uh, I like you say, it's a bit of a mess, Rob. I, I just want to go back to um, uh, this point uh, right here in my review where I said, fuck, now I can't fucking find it. I don't oh, think here we go. Mind. Here we go. You say it's a bit of a mess. Let me just go over the villains of the film again. We start with the deviants being the threat. Then it's the celestials. Then it's the deviants again. Then we're back <laughs> to the celestials. Then it's Icarus. Then it's the deviants, celestials, and Icarus. <laughs> well, they were all bad guys. So it was just a matter of uh, them discovering it. <laughs> uh, do I need to do it one, awesome. one more time for you here, Rob? <laughs> <It starts. laughs> and Icarus. Okay. Shut up, Joe. And he flies into the <laughs> sun up. in the end. They end Icarus's character yes. by having him fly into the sun. How fucking uncreative is that writer's room? Okay, <laughs> what? What were they? Were they like? You know, we we put in a solid two minutes into writing the script, guys. I'd like to go home. So, so we just need an ending for Icarus. He flies into the sun. Great, love it. All right, Feige, here you go. Here's your script. We shoot Monday. So, so who do you blame for this film then? I don't know because I don't know the creative process fully behind the film. Mm. I don't know if Chloe had a different draft. I don't know really what she originally planned. If it is this, I blame her. If she came up though with this really great idea for a freaking Eternals team up because nobody can will ever care about the Eternals in comics and Marvel just like shot it down because they wanted a blatant action movie and this is what it became then I blame Marvel but that's the thing we'll never know how it became and because Chloe's getting paid a bunch of fucking money and even though this movie was not a success Marvel is giving it a sequel she's gonna play nice and they're gonna act like it was this big teamed up thing that they did and they're proud of this movie and you know what I would be fucking ashamed to have to say I'm proud of this movie mm-hmm. so are, are they giving a sequel? Has that ever been confirmed? Because kind of, they said that they'll do one, but they haven't actually given like a date, being like this is where it is on the slate. But they've said that they'll do one. I, I feel, I feel like it may actually just kind of, you know, fade away into the darkness because the way they dropped it as soon as it came out and got panned, you didn't hear again about the Eternals. The fact that the comic book itself is like already gone or just faded away into nothingness as well no um, it, the, the comic book is now a part of marvel's big event for this year rob oh is it oh yeah great. well judgment I mean, day avengers versus x-men versus eternals starts in uh, may oh so they're trying wow. to they're trying they're trying to they're trying to breathe some life into it then thanos is now the leader of the eternals uh, oh well they're they're even it's more fucking proof. terrible <laughs> Come on, we know most uh, most Marvel crossovers over the last few years have been pretty terrible. Most Marvel books over the past few years have been pretty <laughs> shit. Yeah. So, Rob, what what do you got on on your worst for twenty twenty one? I just gotta say, I'm gonna say Black Widow. Black Widow just, was just probably, Black Widow. You don't have yeah. anything else besides it, Black Widow. You I, didn't. There wasn't anything else that you saw that you disliked. I didn't watch enough that I could 
honestly say that there was anything that I super dislike. I watched a lot of movies that I thought were good. And I'd say Shang-Chi was pretty good up until the end. I agree. I 100% agree with that. Yep. But I found that I I felt like it became, it was almost like leaning towards a DC style movie in that regards is that the bad guy was weak. And that seems to be the superhero, the theme of superhero movies in general, whether it's MCU or the DCU, that they, the bad guys are always underwhelming. And so I kind of felt that with Shang-Chi. Right. But Shang-Chi had some really great moments in it, though, too. Aquafina was was a superstar. I know some people don't like her, but I thought that she... I thought she was fun. I liked she her. She was fun. And I, I love the the whole crouching tiger, hidden dragon scenes with the, the father and the mother, although they weren't the father and the mother. I don't remember the names of them at the moment, but uh, in the forest where the, the fight scenes there, I thought was fantastic. So... To me, it, it was an okay year, but I didn't expose myself to anything really crappy. So I can just say good on everybody for putting out some good stuff. But I can give you point. a list of everything I thought was crappy. And you can yeah, let's hear it. it. I 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. want to hear it. This is everything that I thought was crappy, okay? I know what you want to talk about too. It's long. <laughs> Batman <laughs> the Long pizza. Halloween, parts one and two. House of Gucci, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Black Widow, Red Notice, Gunpowder Milkshake. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Fast Nine, The Hitman Wife's Bodyguard, Licorice Pizza, and The Eternals. Uh, there was one that you mentioned in there. The uh, Sorry, what was the one? Um, it's like, I think the fourth one in. Um, Batman The Long Halloween, House of Gucci, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Black Widow. The one after that. Red Notice. No, no, sorry, the one after that. Gunpowder Milkshake. Gunpowder Milkshake. I had fun with that movie. Oh, I don't care what anybody movie. says. The I had so much terrible. fun with that. It the was only terrible. The thing I but liked about that movie is that Freya Allen played young Karen Gillian. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Freya Allen plays Siri in the Witcher TV show. And Siri is my favorite female character of all time. I absolutely love the character of Siri in the Witcher books, the games. And I love the way Freya is playing her in the show. Huge fan of Siri. Love Siri. And she's an absolute badass. And so seeing her in that, I was like, okay, cool. There's an actress that I like. Outside of that, fuck this movie. <laughs> I thought it was fuck just gunpowder milkshake. I, I thought it was just freaking fun. Okay, just freaking fun. So okay, so yeah. No, but I would only... also add to that list. Don't look up, Leonardo don't DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence. Don't look up is in my meh section. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah. it could have been so much better. Yeah, my meh section. I think is... Leo fell short. Oh, he did. He did for sure. And didn't leave you loving his character mm -hmm. at all. There, there's no emotional attachment to him at all. I would say that this is probably one of his worst movies. Yeah. My mess section starts at my uh, eighth uh, slot of the year. It goes Shang-Chi, Free Guy, The Suicide Squad, Ghostbusters, Afterlife, and Don't Look Up. That's my meh from Spider-Man yeah. up to Dune is my good. And then no, I did Batman like Free Guy. to Eternals is just bad. I, did, I liked Free Guy. But still at the end, like you, I got to balance it out. Yeah, exactly. overall you it's gotta... a man movie. But like, it was one of those movies where I went to the movie theater and I had fun watching it. Even though this isn't a great movie, it's a blockbuster, but I had fun while watching it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. You, you don't get that very much these days. I don't know if you guys, the year I watched so many movies was 2016. I worked at a movie theater in high school. And so I got free movies, like whenever I wanted. Yeah. So I was going to the movie theater like three times a week. That was a year of so many blockbusters and almost all of them were hot garbage. Now you see me too in Warcraft, 
are two of the worst movies I've ever seen. And they came out that year. And I saw them on back-to-back weeks. And I was honestly like, I'm about to give up on movies. I'm never going into the movie theater again. how bad those two movies were. And then I saw Finding Dory the week after that. And I'm like, thank you, Pixar, for restoring my faith. (laughs) That's hilarious. Free Guy, I got to say, I could probably put Free Guy maybe my my lower list because I just felt it was a Ryan Reynolds vehicle, right? It was just... Uh, it was all about him doing his usual shtick and it wasn't that fun for me it was okay like i, I liked the concept i liked how they they did uh, a bit of it but i just found that it was a bit of a eh, it was a, i could eh, I, it's ryan reynolds yeah. doing his usual yeah thing. but i can just see this as a a warm-up to what's about to come out of the whole metaverse yeah and what every gamer right now is hoping for for the world to turn into and that, that's why I liked it. I'm not a huge gamer either. I just, I'm obsessed with the, the whole genre, but I'm not a big gamer. And I thought, thought it was pretty cool from that aspect. Rob, I have to say, I kind of understand your point of free guy because, you know, it definitely is on that weaker side of things because, you know, it's not a movie where the villain starts with the deviants being the threat, then it's the celestials, then it's the deviants again, <laughs> then we're back to the celestials. Then it's Shut, up, Joe. Then it's the Shut up, Joe. Shut up, Joe. Shut up, Joe. I'm so sorry. You're right. Free guy compared to that. Fuck, what was I thinking? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you had the Eternals there somewhere. At the very bottom of the list. <laughs> so, uh, let's visit some of those ones that you had on your list, Joe. Like, All right. I know you want me to talk about licorice pizza, Rob. Yeah, well, no, I don't necessarily want you to talk about it, but you wanted to talk about it, I know, for a I fact. Do. So. Oh, okay. God. Okay, so licorice pizza. I was part of the first audience in Canada to see this movie. This movie is a coming-of-age tale by Thomas Paul Anderson, who um, uh, made uh, Phantom Thread and uh, Boogie Nights. And a lot of people who saw it before I did were saying movie of the year so i was part of the first audience in canada to see it at the tiff light box this is one of the worst movies of the year for me it is the second worst movie of the year for me this movie is a movie that justifies a love story between a 17 year old and a 25 year old uh the 25 year old is a girl not a guy surprisingly um you'd expect it it to be reversed the acting is okay you know there are moments it's take it or leave it the characters do not grow though it essentially repeats the same plot over and over every 20 minutes and we just go around in this endless circle and circle and circle and every time you think the characters are about to grow and something different is about to happen you know the exact same thing happens the story is boring it is bland you are not drawn into it it's essentially about nothing but not in a good way like seinfeld is it's really terrible the only redeeming quality for licorice pizza for me is that Bradley Cooper plays a psycho rich guy in it and it's absolutely hilarious and he's great. He's meant to be like a satire character and he's really, really great. I recommend just watching Bradley Cooper's scenes in these movies, even though you won't understand it. If you watch Bradley Cooper's scenes alone outside of this movie, it is a better movie than Licorice Pizza as a whole. <laughs> Licorice Pizza, you might be wondering why is it called that? Well, in the movie, um, uh, the two that are in love, they start a business together selling waterbeds and they're always trying to find this next big idea that's going to make them rich. So you're thinking maybe they're going to do something with licorice pizza, either make a pizza with licorice or licorice pizza is where the term LP comes from for LP record because people said it looked like licorice wrapped up like a pizza. So you think, oh, they're going to do something with records. None of that happens. There is no reason for this film to be called licorice pizza. The only connection that it has is that the film takes place in California in the 70s and there was a record store in California in the 70s called licorice pizza. 
that is never mentioned in this film. It is never seen in this film. But because, because of that, we can call it licorice pizza. You can also call it Burger King because there was a Burger King in California in the 70s. I don't care. This movie is terrible. Don't go see it. <laughs> I feel like I need to see it. Now. Don't waste your time. You will want your life. That is that bad that I feel like there was I need an to see interview it. with the director after the film. And I am all over that behind the scenes stuff, especially yeah, with yeah. the director. I walked out. It's like, fuck it. I'm not staying here any longer. <laughs> Just that bad. Hey, wow. Wow. It's, uh, it's impressive. I remember seeing you, you reviewing of that and I was like, okay. And I know I heard you talk about it a few times at the shop and I was just like, that must be a pretty terrible movie. But that's what I find sometimes too, is that, you know, a lot of the times the critics are like, oh, this is an amazing film. This is an amazing film. And it must be just like, it must just have this domino effect, right? A couple of critics come out and say it's amazing. And then everybody else is like, oh yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to be, I want to be like them. And then they start mm -hmm. throwing out these amazing uh, reviews and all that stuff and then when people finally see some of these films they're like okay that's not really that good well a lot of the critics like those first reactions they all see it together and they all put up their review at the same time when the review embargo goes up so it's kind of hard to piggyback on that i think the problem is is that paul thomas anderson is known for making these kind of like plotless films mm -hmm. and people think that they're beautiful because they have good performances in them and beauty, beautiful shots and everything. And while I'm not going to say this movie doesn't have some nice shots, because it does have some nice shots, I'll give it that. This, a movie needs story. A movie is a piece of art where it tells a story. And if you don't tell a story, all I'm looking at, like, I'll go watch a 4K video of California then on YouTube if I mm -hmm. want to see this, yeah. you know? This, I need a story. That's why I'm going to the movies. That's why I'm going to the theater. That's why I'm spending $12 to sit down because I want to see a story. I want to be entertained and I want to be pulled into this other world. It doesn't matter if that other world is a coming of age story in a high school like The Breakfast Club, an MCU epic like The Eternals. The Eternals, fine, Rob. <laughs> um, or if it's, you know, some artsy, fartsy piece like Spencer. It doesn't matter. Mm. I want to be brought into this world and I want to go on this journey. And Licorice Pizza doesn't offer that. It offers the exact same bickering plot every 20 minutes that in the end tries to justify a romance between a 50, between a 17-year-old and a 25-year-old. And that's not okay. And you can, and there are people who have defended it saying it's not really justifying it. I'm like, they end up together in the end. It justifies it. Yeah. That is, especially nowadays, you would think that people would be like uh but you know what sometimes well th this isn't necessarily a hollywood movie but at the same time i mean hollywood's looking pretty sketchy these days mm -hmm. so i yeah. i mean is this this is probably just not something that's just to them just doesn't wrap around in their brain that either that or they're trying to create a shock moment that or or maybe they're trying to justify you know the pedo ring that goes on in hollywood right now <laughs> maybe maybe so that's interesting. I definitely, uh, I didn't really have any interest to see it either, but yeah, after your ski Besides a cool Joe, name. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed that it, I remember you saying something about the LP and the fact that a yeah. record looks like a licorice pizza. Well, hmm, yeah. yeah. I, kinda, I also want to say this movie does something that's kind of annoying me with movies where have you guys noticed a lot where it's like an older piece, not like, like super old, like we're going back to like ye olden times, but you know, if it's something from like, the 1900s essentially a lot of people are doing a lot of things in their film where they're putting in a gay character and it's like you know like their struggle is that they're gay and it's not socially accepted right um which like perfectly okay with like you know yeah 
gay people didn't like have their moment to speak. They were oppressed. They 100% deserve that. But what I'm really annoyed with is how it's just becoming a plain plot device now in movies. Like if you have this old film, that automatically has to be in there somewhere. And it, it doesn't offer anything to the plot. It doesn't honestly fit. It's just kind of thrust. Like in this movie, it's literally thrusted in there for a total of five minutes. And then that's it. It's right near the end. It's just thrusted in there with no buildup to it whatsoever. And then it's just, it's over with and we don't talk about it or worry about it again at all. Like that's, that's it. Like why? Just doesn't why? make sense. Like, are you trying, if you're essentially, you're just trying to be, you know, woke where, yeah. you know, like I said, like, just if you're going to tell a story like that, tell a story like that. Like, I will go see that. I will watch that. Sure. I will get engulfed and involved in this story. But don't introduce a story just so it, like, makes your movie look better, essentially. Yeah. Or, you know, like, you're doing something woke or showing, you know, like, oh, there was this struggle going on this time. There was this struggle going on in this time. But if you're going to shine a light on it, shine a light on it. Don't flick your lighter in front of it and then walk away. This, that's just that, my point that's my no, little that, that is a great point and that actually brings me to a movie that i forgot about uh and we talked about it on the podcast was jungle cruise and they do that exact yeah. same they have that exact same plot point where the brother of the, the central character not not the rock's brother emily the, blunt yes emily blunt's character her brother is gay and they go on the struggle that he has and while that was an endearing moment in that movie was it necessary for that genre of film? Not in the very least. It was, again, endearing in the film, but again, not necessary. And it just served that exact same purpose that you just said. It was there nothing but to make the, the Jungle Cruise look more progressive. And uh, yeah, it was just, you know, use and, use, used and abused. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the thing that a lot of films do nowadays anyway. Like the Eternals. The Eternals. <laughs> anyway gentlemen do i need do i need to recap the eternals one more time or are we good uh, uh anyway shut let's up wrap joe. Let's, wrap, let's wrap this up <laughs> with a nice joe juicy man show. i gotta say i gotta say thank you very much for coming on the show i'm really enjoying your podcast 21st century cinema thank you um i had actually just gotten on to it a few months ago mm -hmm. and it's great that you've been able to come on and, and jump on with us for a bit and be able to rant about comics where they won't let you do that on on your own yeah. show yeah, yeah. And, they, don't, and, they don't let me do a lot on my own show if you've been listening like you know <laughs> i try to like go off of something and they're like no you're not doing this or really they, they'll right bring something in. up where i'm like i can go back to this thing i brought up a few weeks ago where i was angry about and they're like no stop talking about it stop talking about it. <laughs> i appreciate you bringing your unique perspective to our show as well joe thank it's you. fun well it's thank you very much for having me it's uh fun to be here i've been uh, listening to your guys show a bit too lately getting involved in it liking it like i said right before we started i'm excited to see uh what andrew keeps in and what he drops from the edit because there's a lot <laughs> so I mean, i'm excited to see what, what that becomes of that. Um, most of it will make it i'll be honest awesome. i don't cut awesome. i don't cut much awesome great i will be yeah. sharing it with like so many people and being like hey Listen to me yell about things more. <laughs> he, he, he they actually just, let me yell. Yeah, they he, he yell. usually just edits me out anyway. So, <laughs> so Rob, your audio hasn't been on this entire time. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's just been Joe and I talking. Oh, yeah, this is this is this is the new show. I was wondering why you guys weren't responding to any of my questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so gosh. So so uh, 
when do we get to be part of the club, Joe? When are, when are you inviting us? It's on not your a fucking. It's not a club. It's not a club. No, seriously, you guys want to come on? I was gonna say, like, yeah, you guys want to come on? You're 100 percent allowed to come on. We'll do like a four person thing with me and one of my co-hosts, Noah. Yeah, for sure. I Set it up, be, guys. Yeah, be a lot of fun. We could, yeah, we'll have to come up with like an idea of whatever you guys want to talk about. Um, but yeah, we've got we're doing Oscars this month for February, and then we're doing the actual Oscar show in March. So if you guys are free in April, let's uh yeah, let's send this set up for April. Love it. Let's do it. All right, Andrew, send us out, buddy. Well, gosh, how to survive the modern world or Gen X isn't just a fashion statement. Thanks, everybody, Thank you for, for listening. listening. Have a good one.